Amen. Please remain standing. The reading of our scripture this morning. John is coming to read our scripture. I think John is there. There he is. John, uh, the scripture this morning comes out of the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, you're invited to do so, or there in the pew Bibles in front of you, it's found on page 707 of your pew Bibles. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of, of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have a complex relationship with money, <laughs> us Americans. We have a complex relationship with, uh, with money and possessions. The average, American, the average American spends 102% of their income every year. That's the average American. 102% of our income is what the average American is spending each year. So you can see that, that on, on average, Americans are, are, are going farther and farther and farther in, into debt. And, that's, and that really is, is surprising, for we are one of the wealthiest countries in all of the world. In fact, in fact if you make, make $25,000 or more in the United States, you are in the top... 2% in the world in income as a family. Now think about that. Think, think, about, think about where that is in, in, our, in our country. If you make $25,000 or more per year as a family, you are in the top 2% in the world in income. Just being inside the borders of the United States automatically puts you in the top 5% in the world in income. Now, it doesn't seem like that at all, however, does it? Because we are, we are living beyond our means. We are spending more, we are spending more than we are spending more than we are making. About 10 years ago, there was a survey conducted among, uh, they, can, they surveyed 1,000 Americans, and out of that survey, they, the, the, the authors of that survey produced this book, 
uh, simple life. And, and over the last few weeks, we have been looking at some of the ideas, or at least we've, we've used some of the ideas kind of as a, as a springboard as we have been looking at, the, at a simple life. And, and, and so they, they began to ask Americans what their, their, relationship, uh, their relationship with money. 43% of the respondents of the survey said they simply did not have enough income uh, for, their, for their lifestyle. 43% of Americans say that they don't, we don't have enough income to, uh, to support our lifestyle. 50%, 50% indicated that they often have more bills to pay in a month then they have money to go around. And so again, I mean, that's kind of the average American. 50% of us see that we have, we have more bills and we have money coming in. And again, the average American is spending uh, 102% of their income, spending 102% of their income every year. 73% of, of the respondents uh, said they were concerned about whether they would have uh, enough, enough to retire comfortably or not. I had a dear friend in, in the previous um, town that I lived in. He didn't attend the church that I, that I went to. His name was Burl Bartlett. Burl was a, was a crotchety old man when I met him. I think he was always a crotchety old man. He was a retired um, football coach from the state of Texas. He had, he had coached at Texas Tech. Back in the 1950s and the 1960s, he, he retired from, from coaching and came to Oklahoma and was a retired school superintendent. And, Bur- and Burl, uh, when I met him, was in his, uh, in his early 80s when I met him. And, and uh, he told me, he said, uh, Leslie, uh, whenever you think you need to retire, work five more years after your retirement because you will never have enough money to really retire on. And that's what the respondents I mean, we're afraid. We're, we're afraid that we're not going to have enough money to retire on to be able to retire comfortably. 60% of those who polled said that financial difficulties are, are causing significant stress in their families. And, I, and, I, and I've seen it over my 21 years of being a pastor. I have, I have seen it time and time and time again that, that couples have come into my office and, they, and they're struggling in their, in their marriage and, and, and almost always, almost always finances are a part of that struggle. Certainly there, there are other things thrown in there, but, but I have found that, that when we struggle with finances in our families, it oftentimes it, the, the tension that's already there is just absolutely, absolutely magnified. And we think to ourselves, if we could just have, if we could just get more money, if we could get more money, that would solve all of the issues. You remember, you remember last week we were looking at, at, our, at our complex relationship with time, and, and there, was a, there was a woman who had, who had, who had uh, filled out the survey, and she said, if I could just have 20, now this whole 24-hour thing isn't working for me, if I could just have 25 hours, well then, then, then I think my life would, would, would be able to, I would be able to make it. If, if I just had more time, then everything would work out. And we often think to ourselves, if I just had more money, then, then all my problems would be fixed. But that's not so at all. 70% of people who, who unexpectedly come into large sums of money are bankrupt within seven years. Have you, have you seen the statistics of, of those who have won the lottery 
Those who have won millions and millions and millions of dollars, 90% of them are bankrupt within five years. 90% of NFL players are bankrupt within five years of retiring from the National Football League. And these are people who have, who have, who have earned millions and millions and millions of, of dollars. One, one uh, respondent of, of the survey said, said this, if I, were, if I were just independently wealthy, then I could pursue what I, what I really want out of life. Very similar to what the woman uh, in the last week said, if I, could, if I could just have another hour in my life, then everything would, would all work out. And, and again, and again, what I have found is that is that we don't have a money issue oftentimes. Because what I found is that um, more money makes us more of what we really are. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever noticed that? The, the more money that I have, the more I become what I, what I really am. And so I found, found some folks that, uh, and thank God that, that I have had some very, very wealthy folks in the, in the churches that I've pastored, and, and I thank God for them because their, their, their large finances have, uh, they, it's, it's made them more of what they really were, and they were generous already. <laughs> And more money has made them even more generous. They were loving already, and more money has made them even more, even more loving and grace-filled and faithful. But then there are others of us that we weren't generous to begin with, <laughs> and we weren't loving to begin with, and we weren't grace-filled or faithful to begin with, and we think, if I just had more money, then I would be all those things, but that's not the way it works at, at all. So today we're continuing this sermon series dealing with what we call a, a simple life. We have looked at, at how God has called us to have a simple life when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the chaos of our lives with our, with our time indeed. Uh, and today we're turning our attention to a simple relationship with, with money. We have, a, we have a deeply, deeply complex relationship with, with money. I'm, I'm not afraid and never have been afraid to talk about money in the life of the church. And by the way, I always, I always say something like this. Uh, one of the reasons that I love our Methodist system is that my salary is not based on what anybody in this church gives. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you all give. My salary is going to be paid by something, someone. If this church doesn't pay my salary, well, there's going to be another church that pays my salary. This is the, I, I, I talk about money not, because I, not out of a selfish ambition so that the pastor will get more money. I talk about this not because uh, I want the church to have a bigger budget, not at all. I've always said the church, the local church, is going to do what the local church is going to do. We're going to have the ministries that you all, uh, through your financial giving to the life of the church, you all are, we're going to have the ministries that, uh, that, that are funded by that. And, and whatever that happens to be, that's what, that's what, we're, that's what we're going to do. I'm comfortable talking about, about money because I think money is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. Jesus talked about, as I, as I told the children, Jesus talked about money more than Jesus talked about prayer, more than he talked about faith, even more than he talked about even the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about everything else because he recognized <laughs> we are so tempted 
so tempted to grasp onto money and make it the primary goal of our lives. I wish. I wish that there was, there was some way to, to come at money, a, 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 an all-encompassing direction from which we could make our monetary decisions. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a, 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 a concept that, that would help inform us and help us to make, make all kinds of decisions when it came uh, to our money? And I, I, I think that there is, and it's the term stewardship. Now, um, I'll be honest, over my 21 years of, of being a pastor, I have, I've never called, and by the way, this is not a stewardship campaign that we're in at all. This is just simply a, a sermon in the midst of a series on, on a simple life. I, I never refer to the finance campaigns that I lead as stewardship campaigns. I don't because it harkens back those old days of, oh no, here's the stewardship campaign. Uh-oh, here's the, here's the time when the preacher is going to be asking us for more money. This is the time. It's not really stewardship. It's a finance campaign. We know, we know, preacher, you're just using that religious word. Um, but I think that there is something very, I think there's something deeply, deeply meaningful in this understanding of a steward or what a steward is. A steward was, was one who, who literally took care of another person's household. That's what a steward was. Oftentimes they were a servant. Um, oftentimes they were paid for their, in their position. Sometimes uh, in, in, in the ancient world, it would have been someone who was a, who was a slave, but they would have been taken care of by, by the master. But a steward was someone who took care of another person's household. A steward was someone who watched over the domestic affairs so that the, so that the master could, uh, could focus on, on other things, things that, were, things that were more important. A stewardship requires some sort of higher authority. If you were a steward, it meant that there was someone in a higher authority that was the, really the owner of the property, and, and the steward was just there taking care of the property on behalf of, of, the, uh, of the real owner. It's a position of, of submittal to a, to, a greater, to a greater good. And when we begin to understand our money and our possessions, with that understanding, I think it's a game changer for all of us. I think it's a game changer for us. When we come to understand that we don't own anything that we have, this is not our stuff. This is, we're, we're on this journey called life, and God simply has entrusted stuff to us, and we are called to steward that stuff during our brief time here on earth. We are called to steward the, our, our relationships with our families. We are called to, to steward our possessions and our wealth and our jobs and our time as well. We are just simply stewards. We're using this stuff that's really not ours. It is God's. I think it's a psalm that says that, that, that I mean, he doesn't by the way, God doesn't need our stuff because he's already got it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all already. We're just simply taking care of it. Again, the Bible has a lot to say about money and possessions. 
Here in our, in our passage of Scripture today, a man, it se- he seems a little bit rude, doesn't he? <laughs> he interrupts Jesus and shouts out a question. Jesus, um, would, would, you, um, would you make a judgment here about, uh, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Now, this would not have been out of the ordinary. Jesus was known as a rabbi, and rabbis were, were known as those who could make these kinds of decisions, not just make these kinds of decisions, but make these kinds of legal decisions. Those of you who are lawyers, you've been asked this question a thousand times. Uh, if someone comes into your office and they say, make my brother give me my part of the inheritance. Can, will, you, will you help settle this, uh, this inheritance dispute? I w- we would have expected Jesus to have looked at the man and said, um, well, so here's, here's what happens according to the law. The oldest brother gets at least half of the inheritance, typically more than that. And then the other half is divided between all of the younger siblings. So yes, your older brother needs to give you uh, at least a portion of the inheritance. That would have been the expected, the expected answer that Jesus gave, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, man who made me a judge or arbitrator over, over you. And then he said to them, take care and be on your guard against covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells this story about, a, about a, a, an amazing capitalist. I mean, we, 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 I, I try to defend the guy a bunch. I grew, up on a, I grew up on a farm. I know, I know what those bumper year crops are like. I know what it's like. I remember in, I believe it was in 1979 or, or 1980, it was, it was the second largest wheat crop in the history of Oklahoma. I remember that year. I, I, I remember that year. And it also happened to coincide with a, with a trucker strike around the United States. And in my hometown then, there on one of the many uh, empty streets in my hometown, um, they had, we had so much wheat coming in to the grain elevator, they didn't have enough storage. And then there was, again, a, a trucker strike. And so they, couldn't, they, couldn't, they didn't have anybody to ship all of that, ship all of that um, grain away. And so when the farmers brought it to the uh, brought it to the grain elevator. The grain elevator was putting it in trucks and dumping it uh, into the streets of my hometown. It was a it was a bad bad scene when a rainstorm uh, came up a few weeks later, and the whole town smelled like uh, smelled like um, soured seed. Uh, even just a couple of years ago, even a couple of years ago, I uh, in Enid has the uh, the previous town that I that I lived in. It has the second largest grain storage capacity in the world, the most in in the United States. Massive massive grain elevators. If, you, if you've ever been to Enid, you'll see, them, you'll see them from miles and miles away. Three years ago, uh, Oklahoma had a really big wheat crop, and it also coincided with the most amount of grain in storage in the history of the world. And so the large grain elevators in, in Enid, they were doing the exact same thing that, that my hometown did in 1979. They started putting it out on the ground. Now, they, they had a little bit more forethought. They had some tents to cover, to cover it with. We understand what it's like. We have a bumper crop. What are we to do here? Well, 
We're going to build, we're going to tear down our barns, build bigger barns. Now, now some, some commentators have said, well, you know, the reason that Jesus condemned him was because it was just before harvest and, and maybe the grain, maybe the barns wouldn't get done in time. But I, I don't think, I don't think that's why Jesus was, was condemning this man at all. Listen, listen, listen to these words. Listen to these words again. The land of a, of a rich man produced plentifully. And, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods for a lifetime. And for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night your soul will be required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Now this, this term fool, is a, it, it's not used very much in the New Testament. In fact, in, in Luke's gospel, it's only used one other time. And so it's only used two times in the Gospel of Luke. However, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you find that word fool 70 different times. A fool, a fool in Scripture, is someone who refers to those who live as if God does not exist. A fool is, is someone who lives as if God does not exist. I don't need God. I've got plenty of stuff. I've got a, I've got a big house. I've got a nice salary. I drive, a, I drive a nice car. I don't need God at all. But you don't need to be an atheist to live like one. When we have this thought, this idea that we don't need God to survive, we are an absolute fool. Jesus said it right. We are absolutely foolish. When we think that we've got all this figured out. When we think these are our possessions and we don't need God at all, we are absolutely foolish. Absolutely foolish. You remember last week, whenever I had you start making a priority list in your life, your priority list may have looked something like this. What are your priorities in your life? And the challenge last week was, if, this is a, if, this is a, if, if your list looked sim, similar to this, if, I mean, if those of us who are, who, are, who are believers, we would, I mean, at the very least on paper, we would say God's number one in our life. And, and, then, and then we would follow it up with a number of different things, maybe family, maybe health and work and friends. We, may, we might even throw entertainment in there. There are other things that, that, we, that you probably threw in there on that list last week. And the challenge last week was, we know our priorities. Prioritize your time according to the priorities of your life. And I, would, and, I, and I think our challenge today is the same thing dealing with money. We say these are our priorities. We'll then prioritize our use of our money according to our priorities. You remember what Jesus said? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, always a little, I'm always a little fascinated that he didn't say it just the opposite. Where your heart is, well, there your money will also follow. But he knew, he knew us so well, didn't he? And that's not how it works. 
We say that we love God. We say that we, we, you know, family comes first or family comes second or, 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 or jobs you know, are on down the line. But that's not how we live our lives. Jesus said, you, you, wanna, you, wanna, you want the best the barometer of, of, of how much you love God? Open up your checkbook and see. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your, where your treasure is, that's your, those are your real priorities. No matter what we put down on paper, where our treasure is, those are, those are our priorities. In this book, Simple Life, they began, again, those that responded to the survey, they began to interview some of them. And a, a woman named Erin responded. And I want you to hear what she said. When I read this, I was shaken to my core, really. Erin said, look, I know that my budget is strained. Trust me. I realize this every time I open the mailbox and see a bill. I get a little nervous, hoping that, that, I, will have enough to pay, uh, to, that I will have enough to pay it. So far, I have been fine. Every bill has been paid. I've never had any late fees, so I, so I guess I'm fine for now. But then she continued. She said, I guess I could trade in my car for one with a lower monthly payment, but once you have a car like mine, it's hard to take a step down. Everyone loves it. I get so many compliments. I don't know. I guess it just makes me feel good. I feel like I'm somebody when I drive around in it. I don't know if I want to let that go. You see, I believe that our financial decisions are not financial decisions at all. They are deeply, deeply spiritual decisions. That's why I'm so comfortable talking about money in the life of the church. We're not talking about money. We're talking about our relationship with our resurrected Savior. When we are trying to find meaning and purpose in possessions, we have completely, completely, and absolutely missed it. Our purpose and meaning will not come anywhere outside of our relationship with our Lord. The authors of the book said this. Debt is, a, is primarily caused by overconsumption. Overconsumption is caused by our desire for something that is beyond our financial reach. We want something beyond our financial reach because we think that somehow it will make us more complete. A few years ago, well about 20 years ago actually, uh, our family bought a, bought a, a, a farm in our, in our area from a guy by the name of Chester Leslie. I love, I love that name. My, my dad remembered Chester's, uh, Chester's place when he was growing up. Again, we, we grew up, I grew up in the, in, the, in the middle of nowhere. And my dad, um, uh, throughout all of his elementary days, he, he rode his horse to school. It was about a four-mile ride from, from their house to this little uh, country school. Liberty Center was the name of this, of this school. And every, every morning during the school year, he would, he would ride by Chester Leslie's place. Uh, Chester's place apparently was a, it just, I mean, just outstanding, just outstanding. And, and when we bought the place, 
uh, from, from him. There was, a, there was an old rickety house. I mean, it was the back half of the house was beginning to pull away from, from the rest of the house. The, the front porch was beginning to sag quite a bit. Since, since we've bought it, the, the back house, half of the house has completely collapsed into the ground. The, uh, the front porch has completely collapsed uh, as well. Uh, you can't even walk into where the kitchen originally was. There's, there's no uh, there's there's no decking on the floor in that in that part of the house. But when my dad uh, when when my dad was growing up, Chester Leslie's place was I mean it, it was a it was a gorgeous place. His his house was always painted a, a bright white. My dad uh, he he was he was telling the story of of Chester's of Chester's house not long after we bought that not long after we bought the place. And he was he went on and on about about the the amazing place that Chester had. It was always painted white. He said it. 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 I mean, it shone like the like the sun like the sunlight when the when the sun was coming up over the horizon as he would as he would ride by it every every morning during the school year. Chester even had uh, this as well. I mean, back in those days, nobody out in the country had any running water, but Chester had a he had a windmill uh, not far from his house, and he had through a series of of ropes and pulleys and wires, he had a way that he could turn on and off that windmill from inside of his house. He had some of it even piped into his house. It was as if he had running water uh, 30 years before anyone else had running water. It had been a long time since Chester had lived there. In fact, he had been gone a number of years when we, when we bought his old farm. And when we bought that farm, his house was still standing. It was still painted white and flaking badly. And we, we um, put a four-wire barbed wire fence around it, and we, we began to stack our hay in what would have been Chester's front yard. And my dad hated to do it. He absolutely hated, hated to do it, and, and I, I, shouldn't have said what I, I shouldn't have said what I did. My parents have lived in their house since 1970. They were very proud when they, when they built that house in 1970. They had, they, had, they, had, they had been living in a, in a wood frame house that was built in about 1915 or so. Uh, they built a brand new house in 1970. And, and I looked at my dad and said, well, you know, it's a shame that, we've, that we're doing this to, che- to Chester's house, but, but I hate to break it to you that one of these days we too will probably be uh, piling hay in your front yard as well. But I was right. Those things that we hold on to so dearly today, they are like dust in the wind. Absolutely nothing. We're not going to take it with us. We're here, dear friends, to simply be stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So maybe, maybe we should be challenged by Jesus' words as well. You fool. This night your soul will be required from you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Would you bow with me? Oh God, we have indeed a complex relationship with money. Because so oftentimes in our money and our possessions and in our, through our possessions, we are trying to, trying to find meaning and significant and purpose 
in our lives. Help us to know today that no amount of money will ever give us purpose and meaning and significance. Our purpose and meaning and significance comes only through you. And if we say that you are first in our lives, empower each one of us here today to be to be generous toward you, not to store up treasures here on earth, but instead to store up treasures in heaven, to give to you, to use faithfully these things that you have entrusted to us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.